0: Sorry, I've been out of town for two weeks. I keep forgetting all sorts of stuff. Forgot to record I'm sure there's some people who follow us online want to hear the sermon. Uh, we, two weeks ago, left off uh, at the end of chapter 1 of the book of Romans, or the letter of Romans. Remember what we've seen so far as we're going through that letter is it was written by Paul, who's uh, authorized spokesperson for Jesus. Uh, the words that we are reading aren't just the words of, uh, of men, but God is speaking through these spokespersons to reveal and communicate to us as people uh, the, the reality and truths of the gospel, who we are and how we're to live in light of that. Paul is writing to this church in Rome that he hasn't visited. He did not establish this church, but he desires to go there and have them equip and help him on his journey, hopefully, to get to Spain. Why? Because God has called, and Jesus himself has called Paul, to be one who takes the good news of the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. And what is the good news of the message of that gospel? Well, that's what Paul is seeking to explain throughout this book of Romans. But he gave us insight early in chapter 1 that it is the power of God for salvation. Because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that comes from faith. And that righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. And God declares sinners righteous in Jesus as He clothes us in His righteousness. It's not a righteousness that is our own, it's Christ's. And that is received by faith. Uh, Why do we need the righteousness of Jesus? Why can't we relate to God with our own righteousness? Well, Paul begins to to explain uh, how bad the situation is, how bad the news is. Uh, as he uh, showed in the last part of, uh, of chapter 1, how uh, spoke, focusing specifically on the Gentiles, the church in Rome is made up of mostly Gentiles, but also some Jews, but focusing on the, uh, the Gentiles who are without excuse because of the revelation that God has given both in creation and in their hearts of seeing that they've rejected God, abandoned His... Uh, his decrees and his purposes for themselves, and are seeking to live as their own king. Uh, this morning, uh, Paul is going to move and begin to address the other members of this church and this community of, uh, of the, the problem with uh, sin, and beginning to talk and speak about the Jews, and seeing as well that they is also are without uh, excuse before their God. All of us are sinners in need of the righteousness that comes from faith in Christ. And so as we look at this this morning, what we're going to see is, is as Paul is continuing to explain to us uh, as the, uh, the people of God uh, about sin, sin in the world, sin in our own lives, and seeing how are we to respond to it. Because we may ask, well, what does this have to do with us if he's writing to Jews uh, Jewish Christians who are the, the part of this, or at least those who profess to be Jewish Christians uh, here in the Church of Rome. Remembering that the Jews are the covenant people of God who should be hoping and resting and trusting in the promised Messiah. Those of us who are uh, not Jews, who have placed our faith and hope in Christ, we've been brought into the people of God. And we can learn something from the struggles that God's covenant people have as they relate to Him and try to grapple with their understanding of their status before their God and how they're to relate to the world. But the problems and struggles they have, we're going to see we can struggle and stumble over the same things. And so we need to learn and recognize how do we do? How do we respond to sin in the world and in our own lives? And we're going to see three, three things. Kids, if you want to keep... Uh, uh, a tally of listening for these words. Uh, you can listen for recognize, repent, and righteousness. So what we're going to see as we go through this passage this morning is that we need to recognize sin, we need to repent of sin, and we need to pursue righteousness. Alternatively, if you want to draw a picture, uh, this will make sense later in the sermon. But I want you to draw me a picture of a, a giraffe without a neck, A zebra without stripes, and an elephant with no trunk. All right, if you can do that, show me your pictures afterwards. We'll hang them up on the wall. It'll make sense later, hopefully. But so, if you would turn with me to your copy of God's Word, we're in Romans chapter two. We're going to look at verses one through eleven together this morning. So please turn to your copy of God's Word there. If you're on in one of the black Bibles in the seats, uh, this is on page nine hundred and forty. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 together. So let's hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man? For everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Let's pray. God, you know our struggles uh, as we uh, experience uh, sin in this world and in our own lives, how we fail to respond properly and rightly uh, many times uh, as you would have us. Uh, in this world. Uh, We pray this morning that as we uh, come to this passage in Romans, uh, that you would use your word uh, to continue to help us as your people uh, to see sin rightly, to see your holiness rightly, to see Jesus rightly. Uh, Would we find hope in Christ, hating our sin more and more, and loving our Savior. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first thing uh, that we see in this passage, as Paul is seeking to direct the attention of uh, of God's people uh, to rightly respond to sin, is the first thing we see is that that we're to recognize sin. Notice what he says and how he starts in verses 1 and 2. Therefore you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges... For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Uh, the, the first thing to notice is that as Paul is talking to uh, the Jews who are who are a part of this congregation here in uh, in Rome, uh, the the problem that he's saying is not with judging itself. Uh, Paul's saying that that recognizing and identifying sin is not wrong in and of itself. I mean, notice what he says there in verse 2. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So Paul is saying when you recognize and see it in the world, the proper understanding of it is to recognize sin and to recognize that God's judgment rightly falls on it. Because if judgment in and of itself was wrong, then would Paul not be guilty of it here? Because is he not judging those who are uh, judging those in the context of the church here in Rome? Or if we flip back over to the end of chapter uh, 1, would Paul not be guilty of, of, of sinning against God for these words? Remember when he condemned homosexuality uh, in the, the middle there of, uh, of chapter 1? Or when he says this, And speaking of uh, those who reject God and the world, that they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, you see, Paul is identifying, he's recognizing and seeing sin in the hearts and the lives of the people in the world, of those who are outside of God's uh, God's people, who don't have the revelation of the Scriptures. They have rejected God, and this is evident in their lives. But notice, the, the, the problem isn't that these Jews in Rome are recognizing sin. It's that they're not taking it far enough. They're not recognizing it in their own hearts. They're only content to recognize and see sin out there, but not in here, not in their own heart. Notice the the contrast. Do you remember how Paul ended chapter 1? Speaking of the, the Gentiles and those in the world, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So notice what's going on. They're practicing these wicked and evil things, and they're giving approval. Notice, though, with the Jews that Paul is addressing in chapter 2. He says they're passing judgment, he tells us in verse 1, so they're not approving of what is going on. They're recognizing that this is sin, this is against God's purpose and His will and His decrees. But notice the commonality. You yourself practice the very same things. The problem isn't with the recognition of sin and recognizing and seeing it and calling it for what it is and recognizing that sin deserves the righteous justice and wrath of God. The problem is is saying that and recognizing that but not seeing in yourself and continuing to practice the very same things that you call out in the world. Now, some of the, uh, the Jews who were sitting in this church, as this letter would have originally been, uh, been read out loud to the entire congregation, maybe at the end of, of chapter 1, as they're hearing Paul, lay out and communicate and say all these things, that's evident and true in the culture that's around them. It's talking about the, the homosexual practice that's happening in Roman society and talking about the slander and the evil and the gossip and the maliciousness and the quarreling and the, the deceit that's happening, that they're sitting back and they're saying, Amen, exactly. Man, Rome's a mess. These Gentiles do not have it together. Maybe as they witness and they see this sin that's happening, they're angered by it. Maybe they grieve over it. Maybe they're disgusted over it. And they rightly recognize, like Paul says in verse 2, that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice those things. But Paul says, you need to be careful. And you need to make sure that you take that recognition of sin and you turn it in. And that the opportunity that you have when you see sin apparent in the world, that that's an opportunity for you to consider and think, am I doing the very same thing? Because the Jews weren't taking that opportunity. Notice what Paul says. You're passing judgment on another. You condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. They... Although the Jews in their culture might not have, their sin would not have looked exactly like the the, the extent or the particularities of what the Gentiles were doing, and it was expressed at the end of chapter 1, Paul is saying, You still are practicing the very same things. How are we practicing the very same things, Paul? We're not as bad as those wicked and evil Gentiles. Oh, are you not? Paul says. For when you judge and condemn them by practicing those things yourself, you're judging and condemning yourself. We need to make sure that we are not following along in the same practice, and the same mindset, and the same error of the Jews in the church in Rome. Kids, think about what you heard a couple of weeks ago when Paul is laying out these. Uh, these sins that deserve the wrath and curse of God. And then he says, deserve death. You remember one that, that might have stuck out to you? Disobedient to parents. He says, deserves the wrath and curse of God. When you heard that last week, or maybe you heard it this morning, you're like, Yeah, boy, do I know somebody who disobeys their parents? My brother. Man, that guy is a mess. And I love to go and point out to mom or dad how much he messed up because I love to see him get in trouble. Do you know that when you do that and you go and and tattle and communicate about what's going on, that just like what Paul is saying here, when you acknowledge to your parents that you know what... Is right and what is wrong, and you're recognizing in someone else, when you're coming to them, you're communicating and giving evidence, and you're showing that you understand I know what is right and I know what is wrong. I know what is called, what it, it means for me to obey my parents and disobey my parents. So then, when you turn around and do the very same thing, you stand guilty and condemned before your parents and before God or maybe parents, let's, or adults who are here, not necessarily parents. Let's, uh, let's focus on, on three, uh, three prominent sins in our, our culture today. Uh, looking at homosexuality, transgender uh, issues that are going on, and abortion. Maybe as you're you, uh, thinking about homosexuality, we talked about last month was, was Pride Month. And maybe, as we went through the end of, uh, of chapter 1, you, as you hear Paul explaining and talking about uh, the sin of homosexuality, your response was maybe similar to the Jews who were in that Roman congregation. Hey, Amen. Man, this culture's a mess. Man, have they distorted God's purpose. I, I can't believe uh, that not only are they practicing these things, but they're approving them. Uh, there's products that are being put out, parades that are being celebrated. Uh, maybe your response in seeing that is one of anger? Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's disgust. Uh, maybe it's uh, recognizing uh, the, how far our, our, our culture has, uh, has strayed from God's purposes. But what Paul would say here is you need to be very careful because do you not recognize that by the fact that you know that that is sin, that you are rightly judging it. Because those responses to that sin of anger, disgust, grief, recognizing that it deserves the wrath of God, those are proper responses. You're recognizing it rightly, but you're not taking it far enough if you don't use that as an opportunity to look at your own heart. Because you're showing by identifying that this is sin and it is a distortion of God's purposes and intentions for the human body, for marriage, for sexuality, that you communicate, I know what God's righteous decree is. Do you and I who judge those things, are we committing the very same things? Are we looking, ladies, looking lustfully on men that aren't your husband, whether it's on the internet or in, in person. Men, are you looking lustfully and distorting God's intentions and purposes and sexuality, uh, longing, fantasizing about someone who's not your wife, whether you're married or not? Uh, looking at those who are on the beach or walking down the street? Uh, are you, uh, uh, those of you who, who are dating, or the way that you're interacting with your, uh, with your significant other? Are you living those things out in conformity to the, to, to the, the standards and the respect that God would call you to and recognizing that sex is reserved for marriage? Because if you recognize that homosexuality is a distortion, Paul's saying you need to look at your own heart and realize that you need to recognize that you too are a sinner. And those realizing and seeing those things in a culture gives you an opportunity to turn and look at your own self. Do you have the same response? Anger? Hatred? Disgust? Grief over your own sin? Or is it only directed outward? Are you taking it far enough? What about transgender things? Of those who are distorting God's purpose and the gender that He is Given and assigned. He is the sovereign creator. There's male and there's female. There's two. He assigns those to us. We are not the sovereign ones who choose what our gender will be or manipulate or mutilate our bodies to change and conform things to our image or to put ourselves in the place of God. We hear about those things going on, whether it's in adults or in children. We should be upset and recognize rightly this is sin. This is a distortion of God's purpose and intention and it is rebellion against Him. And just like Paul says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those things. But do you recognize and realize that if you perceive and know and understand, you who have the Scriptures, you who are a part of the covenant people of God and know God's purposes, that by identifying and saying that is wrong and that is sin, you are demonstrating and showing that you know God's purposes for gender. And that you recognize that that's a distortion. Do you who, who see that and who are rightly responding to the sin out there, are you recognizing it in your own heart? Do you also distort the gender God has given to you? Men, recognizing God has made you a man with particular strengths and roles and authority that you are to use for sacrifice for service, for provision, for protection of your wife, of your children, of women around you, of all of your neighbors? Are you using your gender in a distorted way, buying more into the culture's perspective on male gender, and you're using your strength, your attitude, your words, your body to dominate, to manipulate, to subjugate people to you and conform to your will? You're guilty of the same thing, of distorting gender contrary to God's intentions and purposes. Ladies, God has made you, as a woman, uniquely your role and your status before Him. And to, as, to, to pursue and see beauty as one that is pursued, not outwardly, but the inward heart that seeks to honor and glorify and pursue your God. If you're married, you're to live in relationship with your husband where the husband is in a place of of authority, uh, but one that is one of sacrifice and service. The wife is called to, to submit, to serve, to be the helper in the context of that. Women have the unique and privileged role of bearing children that only that gender can do, given this beautiful gift by God. Do you reject those things? Do you distort those things? Do you manipulate and want to reject and buy into the culture's perspective? You need to be careful that you too do not uh, fall into the same trap that Paul is pointing out here in Rome. Do you recognize the sin out there, but are you recognizing it in here? Do you hate it just as much? Do you reject it just as much? We're thinking about abortion. The murder of babies in the womb. Not respecting and valuing lives that God has made. Do we see that? Do we call it sin? Do we recognize that this shouldn't be happening and God's justice and His wrath is rightly poured out on those things? We should see those things. We need to be careful that we take it to the extent that God wants us to take it and make sure that we aren't practicing the same things. Remember what did Jesus say? you have anger in your heart, you've committed murder. Do you hate that sin in yourself? Do you love and value and see the dignity and sanctity of life in those with disabilities? In those who are elderly? In those who are in a, a different socioeconomic, a racial class or p- place than you? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Paul would say be very careful. You, you see that we need to be also not go to the other extreme to where we're thinking, well, because I have sin in my own heart and in my own life, I can't and all, all of a sudden I'm excluded and unable to talk rightly about what's going on in the world. Paul doesn't say that. It's all a given. We're sinners. But we are called to, like Paul says, rightly recognize the sin in the world. Call it what it is, identify it for what it is, and recognize that God's wrath is rightly poured out on that. But if we are going to properly respond to sin and recognize it, we need to realize sin isn't just out there. It is here. And we actually should hate the sin in our hearts, be disgusted more with the sin in our own heart, which would then move us to compassion and to speak the truth and the harsh realities that we talked about last time. So remember... We're all sinners. This is, this is why the gospel is such good news and why we need the power of God to save and redeem those who are blind and refuse to acknowledge their own sin. May we not fall into this trap. May we hear the warning of Paul rightly recognizing sin and calling it what it is, but seeing and turning and going, doing the hard and heart work of seeing it in our own lives. But, but, Paul, come on. The Jews in his day may have said, don't, don't you realize, I mean, we're, we're God's chosen people. He's entered into a covenant relationship with him. We have privileged status in the world. He's been walking with us and preserving us, preserving his people. He's given us his scriptures. He's been working in our hearts and in our lives. He's given us uh, the, the sacrificial system And now here, even we hear of the the Messiah who has come. I mean, the Gentiles are the wicked and evil ones. We may sin and mess up from time to time, but our sin isn't as bad as theirs. They're the ones who really deserve and need this wrath that is coming. That was a prevalent mindset among the Jews at that time, that due to the privileged status they had, as the covenant people of God, that somehow they had uh, uh, weren't evaluated by the same standard as everybody else before God, that He just ignored or overlooked their sin, and that it was the Gentiles who were the wicked and the evil ones. But notice, notice what Paul says: these buts, these excuses in verse one. Therefore, you have no excuse why Paul says you're condemned because you're practicing the very same things but notice what he warns against in verse 3 the Jews who think that they have their status before the Lord is one that makes their sin not as bad or not as significant or doesn't need to be addressed as as, in such a focused way look in verse 3 Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? They're missing this. They're thinking that God's kindness and mercy and provision to them is an excuse, a reason for them to overlook and not deal and focus with their own sin. It's those who don't know the promises of God that really have it coming. We need to make sure that we're not falling into the same patterns of thinking, well, yeah, sure, the world out there, they're sinners, but I've asked Jesus into my heart. I'm a Christian. Jesus has forgiven my sin. My sin's not as big of a deal. They're the ones who really need to worry about it because their sin hasn't been forgiven. I don't really need to address and deal with my sin because it's covered in the blood and the promises of Jesus. Paul would say, whoa, you've completely missed it. Do you think that God's offer of kindness and forbearance and mercy has been given to you? so that you can have an excuse to continue and to move forward and to pursue sin? No. Notice the purpose. The purpose of God's kindness in your life. The purpose of God's forbearance in your life. The purpose of God's patience in your life is to lead you to repentance. When we recognize sin in the world, The proper response is not to ignore it and use God's grace and mercy that is extended to Christians through Christ as a reason to pursue sin. Paul says, no, we must repent of it and turn from it. Notice what he says is true of their hearts in verse 5. Because of your hard and impenitent heart is what's going on. They have a heart that is not repentant, not recognizing what's going on in their lives. Our proper response as the people of God, when we see sin in our own lives, is not to ignore it, not to dismiss it, not to put it off, not to say, well, it doesn't really matter. God loves me anyway. Or to say, well, you know what? God's the sovereign one, isn't he? Really, can I do anything to change my own heart? I'm not really going to battle this sin. I'm just going to wait until God sees it fit in His sovereignty and His good purposes to change my heart and to deliver me from this sin. No, Paul says. You have no excuse. There are no excuses. Do not use God's grace as an excuse for your sin. Do not use God's sovereignty as an excuse for your sin. Recognize and look. Do you realize what your heavenly Father has done? The kindness and mercy that He's extended to you, that He would send His Son to live the perfect life that you couldn't? That He would die receiving the wrath that you deserved? What does God think of sin? He hates it. He wanted to get rid of it in your life so much that He took on flesh and died in your place, and you would have the audacity To look at that mercy and that grace and persist in sin, not dealing with it, not repenting of it, pursuing and living a life contrary to God? Paul says no. You are presuming on God's kindness. The proper response to sin. When we see it in the world, recognize it. But recognize it and see it as an opportunity to investigate and interpret and look at your own heart. And when you see sin there... Do not put it off. Some of you right now may be thinking of sin that has been going on and persisting in your life. You've been hiding. Maybe you've been ignoring in various ways and purposes. You've been justifying in certain ways. Hear this warning now. Hear this call now as Paul speaks to those who are professing believers in Christ. When sin is apparent and he exposes it in your life, The proper and right and only response for a Christian is to repent of it. We heard this before in chapter 1, did we not? The, The free grace and the mercy of Jesus is enough to forgive the sins of the Gentiles. But also, it is enough to forgive your sin and mine. And we need not fear any sin that we find there when we bring it to the cross that Jesus will pronounce forgiven. We're going to see later as Paul continues to go in through Romans uh, why and how more so we battle this sin. Uh, But here, recognizing that we are called to repent. So, God's people, our proper response is to recognize sin in the world and in ourselves. When we see that sin, the proper response is to repent of it, not to presume upon the grace and mercy and kindness of God, recognizing there are no excuses. Acknowledge it and repent of it. But also, lastly, what we're to do, our response to sin, is to pursue righteousness. Again, notice... What he says in verse 5, "...because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Paul here, he tells us that those who are refusing to recognize sin in their own hearts, who are, are not repenting of it, but who are continuing to practice it. Their presumptions are wrong. Instead of, of anticipating and looking forward to, anticip- to, to, to the blessing and reward of God, what they are actually storing up are God's wrath and His curse. Because their lives are not evidencing one who has been transformed and changed by Jesus. Jesus. Notice what Paul tells us here. That judgment will be, when Christ comes back, judgment will be according to our works. According to how you're living out your life. According to how you're practicing. Hold on, we might say. Paul, did you not just tell us in the last chapter that we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus? That we are found in Him. We're justified by faith. How then are we going to be judged by works? Well, Notice what Paul's not saying here. He's not saying that the foundation of your salvation is according to your works. The foundation of your salvation is the merit and worth of Jesus, His righteousness. For who who, who, any of us, none of us, could measure up to God's righteous perfections before the law. It necessitated one living perfectly on our behalf and us, remember the robe, being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. But Paul says, you will be judged according to your works. Notice again how he words it. If you are patient and well-doing and seek the glory of God, the honor of God, and immortality, longing to live with your God, then what will happen? He'll give you eternal life. But if not, if that isn't in your life, and instead, you are one who is self-seeking, seeking things for your own glory and honor. You're not obeying the truth. you are obeying unrighteousness, and what will result for you is wrath and fury and tribulation and distress, eternally separated from God. Uh, you see what Paul is saying is it's not the, these good works aren't the foundation of your salvation, but it's evidence of your salvation. Th- think about it as you're standing before the judgment throne of, of, of Christ, those who have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, whom we have been united to, His Spirit is at work in us, con- who's transformed and changed our, heart, our hard hearts to give us hearts of flesh to embrace and hope and believe and trust in Jesus, would you not expect to see evidence, demonstration of that righteousness that's been declared of you, shown forth in your life? that you begin to more and more resemble the family that you've been adopted into? Of course you would. But Paul says, there will be and should be and is necessary for there to be evidence of your salvation. And that will be demonstrated and shown and and proven on the day of judgment. But also, what he says here is that good works are necessary. They're necessary. Think about... If I told you, I want you to identify an animal. This animal has four four feet. Uh, It lives in Africa. It is uh, yellowish in color. Um, And it has uh, some, some spots on it. That can be a wide variety of animals, right? But when I say, and it has a long neck, immediately you know what I'm talking about. The, the evidence that I'm giving you points towards a giraffe, but without the long neck, it's not a giraffe. The long neck is necessary for the animal that I'm describing to be a giraffe. Without that crucial piece, what you have, no matter what you're calling it, it's not a giraffe. The same thing goes for a zebra, right? Right? Evidence of stripes does not make it a zebra, but a zebra cannot be a zebra without stripes. In order for it to be a zebra, it is necessary that it has stripes. The same thing with an elephant. Can there be an elephant with no trunk? No. It is necessary for an elephant to have a trunk. Do the stripes make it a zebra? Does the long neck make it a giraffe? No. But giraffes always have long necks. Zebras always have stripes. Elephants have trunks, and Christians have good works. Without them, and without seeing evidence of righteousness growing and being produced in your life through the work of the Spirit, what Paul says you can anticipate and be confident of is that you will be storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment. Because without good works... That faith that you profess is dead, James says. Some people want to pit Paul against James. We see here, even in the earliest chapters of Romans, that Paul is saying Christians will evidence and pursue righteousness in their lives. For some of us, we need to consider this. Have any of you prayed a prayer before? Asking Jesus into your heart? Have you walked an aisle? Come down front? maybe you've joined a church or you've been baptized, but you're content to live a life that does not evidence a pursuit of righteousness or holiness or godliness, Paul would say, do not presume upon God's grace and kindness. Do not presume upon that prayer or that walking down that aisle. You cannot have great extent of assurance without growing righteousness and pursuit of holiness in your life. Is that not what Paul says? If you're continuing to practice sin in an unrepentant and unrecognized way, you actually do not have a heart that's been changed. You have a hard heart. You have an impenitent heart. And you are storing up for yourself wrath on the day of wrath when God returns and judges all without partiality according to our works. Well, how how do we how do we see this righteousness come in our in our hearts and our lives? Well, it's calling out to the one who redeems and saves. It's calling out to the one who has granted us righteousness, it's calling out and pursuing and asking Jesus to work and move in our hearts. It's pursuing the means that God's given to transform us. You will never grow in righteousness if you aren't gathering regularly with God's people. You will not grow in righteousness if you're not digging and pursuing and seeking God and His Word that He's promised to use to transform the hearts and lives of the believer, you will not grow in righteousness if you aren't seeking and calling out to your God in prayer to expose and show you your sin more and more and more, turning to Him in repentance. If you're a believer here this morning or you profess to be a believer and you hear this warning from Paul, guess how a believer would respond to these warnings from the apostle, is to immediately repent. It's to say, I do not want this to be characteristic of my life. I want to live my life as one who follows Christ, as one who demonstrates and exhibits the righteousness that is mine. Our assurance is rooted in the promises of God to save and redeem sinners, but the evidence we have in our lives shows forth the righteousness that Jesus is producing in the hearts and the lives of His people. If you're here this morning, you would acknowledge, I am not a follower of Jesus. Hear what Paul is saying here. Wrath is what those who reject God deserve. But there's the offer of free mercy and grace and if you turn and look and hope in Jesus, you will be saved. For those of you who are here, who you, you are professing outwardly that you are a follower of Jesus, but you're harboring sin in your heart, do not let another moment go by. Hear the warning. You want assurance this morning? How do you respond when God reveals sin in your life? Do you quickly repent of it? Then be assured. But if you're not, and you're hiding it, and you're concealing it, here's Paul's warning. You are in danger of storing up wrath for yourself. If you are those who are hoping and resting in Jesus, and you're grieving over your sin, and you're bringing it to Christ, hear the promise that what God has for you, not because of your repentance, not because of your grief, not because of your righteousness, but because of His grace and mercy. What God has in store for you is hope and peace when He returns and redeems and restores all things. This is the good news of the Gospel. The only hope we have is in Christ. May we live as those who have received and been accounted and credited the righteousness of Christ and demonstrate it for the glory of our God. Let's pray. God, we thank You uh, for... Uh, the scriptures. We thank you for your revealing to us the good news of the gospel. We thank you that in your mercy and your kindness, you're revealing to us our sin and our need for Jesus. We pray this morning that you would give us not hard and impenitent hearts, but soft hearts and repentant hearts that would turn from our sin and look and hope and rest in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.